On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week on On the Record is Hallie Pippis, showroom designer from Furniture Land South. Hallie, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, I met Hallie at Furniture Land South, the opening of their new outdoor gallery, and um, we discovered we're both furniture geeks. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about what you do at Furniture Land South, just for folks who, who may not know what a showroom designer is. So I design the showrooms. Uh, from t- start to finish, I help with furniture selection, fabric selection, case goods, accessories, paint colors, any kind of structural thing uh, I give inspiration for and work with facilities to design. Okay. Now, interestingly, one of the things that I found out when we started talking is you started out at Gallery Furniture um, in Houston and or were at Gallery Furniture prior to, to this. And one of the interesting things that you mentioned about that is that you did a lot of travel to visit retail stores. And not just furniture stores, you visit lots of retail kinds of stores. Tell me about that. I do. Um, well, I'd like to just say too, one of the things that makes it such an interesting experience for me when I visit other stores is I don't only visit them as a showroom designer. I also was a salesperson in my first career for over 25 years and I have been a consumer all of my life. So I take all of those perspectives and use them when I shop a store. Um, my shopping a store, I, uh, my experience starts in the parking lot, just like any other consumer. Um, I ex- just kind of look at it and I notice, are there any, ca- how many cars are in the lot? What kind of cars are they? Does the exterior of the building reflect my expectations based on social media, web pages, advertisements? Uh, is it clean and welcoming? Was it easy to figure out how to get in? I think that's my favorite one. Have you ever been to a building you can't get in easily? Not a retail building. But <laughs> well, yeah, that's Sometimes it's hard to find an entrance. Um, so I look at those things first off because that's what, you know, on my approach. Um, when I'm in a store, I try to just stay in a customer mindset. I try not to overanalyze or be critical of anything because I want to experience what anybody else would experience when they walk in the store. So, I mean, there are obvious things I look for and it's, it's like, what does the signage look like? Where are the salespeople? Was I greeted? Um, is it easy to figure out where to start in the store? Is it easy to find something specific? Sometimes I'll take a shopping list with me so that I can maneuver through the store with something specific in mind to understand how a consumer is going to process this. Or, you know, um, do I have to ask for help from someone? Can I get help? Are there any sales going on? What do they look like? How are they station, you know, stationed in the store? Uh, does it feel organized? Are there directionals to help me get through the store? Um, is it color segregated? Is it, uh, can I tell easily what, you know, is it traditional, transitional, contempor- contemporary? Are they playing music? How does it make me feel? How does the store smell? <laughs> Are the bathrooms? It is. 
Um, where are the bathrooms? Are they clean? Is there anything interesting going on? Another thing I've really started looking for is, is that store doing anything to encourage social media exposure from the customers? Is there something interactive I can participate in? You know, and like all um, photo ops. Are there any selfie stations? Is there something like fun to do? I've been somewhere where they had kind of a scavenger hunt in the store where you kind of look for things and you take a picture of it for their social media. So, what kind of store was that? That was a grocery store. <laughs> so, I, I think that all of those things culminate into your ultimate customer experience. But when I actually walk into a store, I try to forget that I'm looking for those things and see how I find them. Because your customers don't walk into the store looking for it. Mm -hmm. So I'll, in the back of my mind, I have that list and I just shop it. I just walk in with a clear mind and walk around the store. I'll talk to salespeople. I have no specific agenda unless I have a shopping list with me. And then I just shop it, like I look for it. I'll ask questions. I'll try to find it on my own so that I can understand where a customer's coming from when they experience the store. A, a lot of uh, people or a lot of studies say that people when they come in a store tend to turn right. Do you make a conscious effort to turn left or do you have like a conscious effort to say, I'm going to try to see this store in the way that it wasn't intended to be viewed or do you just kind of let yourself? I just let myself go into the store, which is interesting because a lot of grocery stores, if you notice, start off to the left, I mean to the right. Yes, I mean most stores direct you that way. So I just follow the natural path. Okay, so you're not <laughs> trying to be contrarian and say, I'm going to figure you out. No, I don't. I do that afterwards. So after I shop a store is when I really assess all my information and I jot notes down. I don't take notes in a store. Half the time they don't even know I'm shopping to be a shopper. Most of the time I'll have my guy with me or I'll be with my mom. I'll take somebody with me who isn't in the business so that I can experience with them uh, to gain a better understanding. So I really just try to experience, immerse myself in their experience. That's what I want to do. So supermarkets tend to be a little bit more aisle driven, right? It's linear back and forth, up and down. Other stores, you know, it's more of a racetrack format. Mm -hmm. um, is there one that you think works better in translation to a furniture environment? I think you have to have an easy to follow path, but it doesn't have to be, there's not one that works better for furniture. Um, typically your high-end store, to get that more high-end feeling, I'm going to say that to meander through the store and happen upon an experience or a display is going to be more enticing. Um, in, in, in general, I think like lined up items to me speak of, of more of a discount feeling, mm -hmm. like a grocery store or a, something like that. Walmart, Target. Yeah, big box store. So I've been in some furniture stores that feel, I'll use the term organic, uh -huh. um, but sometimes I almost feel like it's a little haphazard. Like I'm not sure, I'll walk in and maybe there's a vignette in the front, but after I go past that, if I don't in myself have a destination, right? I'm not looking for a mm -hmm. bedroom, I'm not looking for a dining room, I'm kind of not sure which way to go. 
how do you psychologically try to, or do you try psychologically to direct the consumer through a furniture store? Well, it's going to vary depending on your layout. So where I work now is enormous and, you know, they have to be <laughs> guided uh, or it's helpful to be guided. Well, I mean, it's three buildings, 1.3 million square feet. <laughs> yeah. it, so you can it's, get lost in it's, it's a little different. But I think the most important part of that experience, if, you're, if your consumer is really shopping for furniture or inspiration, because they're always shopping for something, they're going to be looking for inspiration, a product, or just a feeling or a day out who knows what they're actually looking for but it's up to us to provide them with all of those things so to guide them through the store is important and I think the best way to do it is using color and and style so when I organize a store I like to create visual spaces that are intense and then clean, like a, a palette cleanser. So I don't like to have two different styles necessarily in my perfect world. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily have two showrooms or vendors next to each other where I did the same style. I want them to look different. So I might do something very intense and for lack of a better description, boho. And then I might do like a desert chic, like really cleanse tribal look. And then maybe something very traditional, like cowboy funky. So it's just actually the opposite of saying, okay, I'm going to put all of my contemporary here, and all of my you know boho there, and all of my mid-century modern here. You actually don't want to have that. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I prefer it to. It, I prefer it to draw a customer based on their feelings. So if you walk into a store, and you don't like green, and everything you see is green you're going to instantly not, you're going to think you're not going to find what you, you've set your mind. Right. You're not, you're going to think you're not going to find what you want. Doesn't matter even if you can order it in another color. Um, because we don't think like that as consumers. Not at all. No, we really don't. Uh, so I think to create that inspiration, if I want to pull you to an area, you're going to naturally go to where you like what it looks like. You may not like boho, so you might like this funky cowboy traditional or industrial look. You're going to go that direction first. And then you're going to probably meander out through the other things to look at things you don't necessarily like the aesthetic of the area. How do you get people to stop? Like, they're meandering, they're wandering. I mean, is it, do people, <clears throat> are they very style driven? So, okay, <clears throat> my style is you know, neo-industrial, right? That, mm -hmm. that, metal and, and the, the kind of industrial you know, wheels and barn doors and all that fun stuff, right? So I'm going to walk to that. But if I don't see that, do I leave the store? Or how do you get me from something that I kind of had in my mind as my style um, to something that might be similar but slightly... In other words, how's that secondary search? So they, they're drawn to that first thing they see. They say, I like that. What's their next move after that? What do you, what do you have in store for them? Ah, pun intended. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, that's a difficult question. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it was an easy, I would have answered it. Right. So, to entice them to another section, I think keeping neutral colors on the base portion of the furniture and accessorizing just in styles, not in not complete 
immersion of a look, keeping it a little more light and open, easy to translate is important. Um, hopefully the salespeople are going to guide them, especially in this location, are going to guide them to the product they need based on this, what their wants are. But it's color, draws people, and accessories is, is what I'm going to answer that question with. That's my final answer. That's it. <laughs> final answer. You don't need a lifeline? No. You want to phone a friend? I probably do. <laughs> um, once someone is in a department, and let, let's say I'm shopping for um, case goods. Historically, furniture tends to be suited up, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, it's, it's all one look. Increasingly, we see research, we see um, consumers seem to want a little more eclecticism. Do you think that that's a way to merchandise or do you still have to kind of have all the piece suited up and if they want to mix and match, they're going to have to find another way? Or is that on the manufacturer to develop collections that can work together? How do, how do you deal with that? Are you seeing that in terms of what you do? So. One of the biggest challenges I have in the showroom I currently work in and in other showrooms I've worked in, and I've worked in ones that suit it all up, and it, that's the way they want it, and then I'm really enjoying the freedom I have right now and not having to do that. And I'll tell you why. Where I work now, each vendor gets a certain amount of space. And our goal as a team, merchandising team, is to provide the biggest selection of that vendor in the space allotted. So a salesperson can typically sell a chair off of the same sofa because they're going to sit the same. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend mixing it up because you have more seating opportunities to sell if you don't show suites. So if I'm going to show a coffee table, I may show the matching end table, but I'll definitely do an accent table instead and a couple of occasional other occasional tables in the area that coordinate because then they can see the finish and the collection and, and what it, the scale is off that other piece and be open to other buying opportunities. That's a, a great strategy to increase your, your sales per vendor. Um, I feel the same way about sofas and love seats if you can't sell a love seat off of a sofa you might want to reconsider your career because they'd sit the same so the more opportunity you have to display a multiple SKUs or whatever you call them in your industry is better I think it's just making sure that they coordinate that's interesting because if I think of the furniture stores that I've shopped over my lifetime it always tends to be the sofa and the love seat matching side by side. Mm -hmm. Chair ottoman, uh -huh. two matching end tables. Basically you increase your showroom space by mixing it up in each vignette. <laughs> Accessorization. Yes. I'm terrible at that. Mm -hmm. How do you think of accessorization for the consumer? Is the goal an add-on sale? Is the goal to enhance their love of that particular suit? I mean, what's the strategy of accessorization? My answer to that question is yes and yes and yes. 
As a salesperson, and I've managed salespeople before, my favorite word is add-on. <laughs> I appreciate when I go to the store and they ask me to buy something I don't need as a cash wrap. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. No, but thank you. So, because it's so important to building tickets and sales, and it's important to your business to have an add-on. That's one of the reasons I try to strategize my entire space. So. The showroom I manage right now is about 120,000 square feet. So to, to put this in perspective, I have to break it into chunks. So I chunk it in, It's my chunks are vendors, vendor showrooms within this enormous showroom. So I take each vendor and try to give them each a look that coordinates with their style. Um, so typically when you walk into one of my areas, all of the artwork is gonna coordinate in some way. There may be three base colors I use because I'll create a color scheme for each area once I've gotten all the finals on the fabrics. My rugs will coordinate with the art, with the lamps across the room, with another vignette. I try to have all of those accessory items coordinate so a salesperson can walk into an area that they know a customer likes and goes, oh, the lamps that match that are right there. Oh, look at this artwork. That would look great. Oh, it looks good with this artwork to your right. Look over there to your left. There's you know accessories that go with everything because it makes it easier to shop. People are very in the moment. And if you have to stop and go, let's go hike half a mile and find your artwork to go with this piece, this mirror, they're gonna lose interest. So that's what I tried to do. <laughs> I, having shopped your store, it works. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's my goal. There you go. Because uh, my goal as a merchandiser is to increase sales and drive, to help drive sales through visuals. I want to go back and talk a little bit about other kinds of formats that you shop. We can talk about grocery stores. What other kinds of retail formats um, have you drawn inspiration from or have you seen that you think, yeah, those guys do it good? Um, gosh, it's across the board. Uh, clothing stores, I have clothing stores that I love, just the way that they merchandise or their display techniques. Um, Give me an example of what you mean. Um, it's not high-end, but Zara is a leader in the industry, or was a leader in the industry. I think they still are. They do a great job in guiding people through their store, merchandising by price point, and they really understand the psychology behind the sale. So I think that's a really, it's a good go-to if you're trying to, what's a good store? You know, other stores, I, the, I, what I really like about it, I like a store that's well organized and easy to shop. Okay, so let's, let's play favorite store. Favorite grocery store? Central Market in Houston. Why? First of all, we call it Central Market because it's so expensive, but... So, to describe a grocery store, I'm, I'm going to tell you I take people to the store when they visit from other cities to see. Okay, it's owned by HEB. I don't think y'all have it up here. Um, it's a Texas company. Yeah, it's a Texas company. So you walk into the front, and they have their carts, and then they have a station where you can get free fruit for your kids to shop, and then you walk into this selection of fruit and when I say apples it's 20 feet of apples 
every kind you can imagine. And if you want to taste one, they'll walk up and cut it for you and let you taste it. Um, then they have a fresh, so right next to the fruit, they have their fresh juice pressing station, which is huge. It's um, probably 30 feet long. It's an enormous store. And they, it's just full of all these fresh fruits. So that's the first thing you smell when you walk in is fresh fruit being pressed. And you're walking through this eye and the store is meandering. You have a forced path with shortcuts, kind of like Ikea. Like there's, you know, you have to go a certain direction. There's no way to, if you don't know the shortcuts, you, you, you have to go through the whole okay, store. I'm, have to admit, I'm not an Ikea fan. They're, they're apparently brilliant retailers, but as a consumer, I feel like a rat trapped in a maze. Right. So this grocery store feels like that. Only everywhere you're walking are people who want to help you. So you walk through and there's people handing out fresh fruit. There's people all around to cut the fruit for you and let you taste it. There's people pressing the fruit um, at the fruit station. Then you walk through and you walk into a cooking station where they're cooking meals for you to try. And then they have the butchery and fishmongers across from each other where they have prepared food too you can try with their wares. Then you cut through and go through the wine section. I'm doing this from memory. I haven't been in one in two years. So <laughs> then you go through their dried goods then you cut through their frozen goods and then you're in their bakery which is amazing they make about 15 different fresh breads a day it looks like a italian bakery or a parisian bakery it's beautifully decked out then you go through their enormous cheese section and then you go into their prepared foods in delhi so <laughs> i'm hungry yeah it's amazing and and it is not somewhere i'd like to go just shop every day but what I appreciate it about it is you pull up, the store is clean. It looks like a great looking grocery store. You go in, it is easy to maneuver through. There's people all around willing to help you. They're all in a great mood. You can taste the food. It's fantastic. It's fresh. It's, I can't imagine what their waste is if they don't sell it all. Just I mean, as you know, on the flip side. But um, they slice the bread for you if you want it sliced. They bag it for I mean, it's just amazing experience all around. How do you think someone could translate that into a furniture store? And I know that's a difficult question. I mean, I, I acknowledge. Um, and you're answering it without any advanced preparation. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> just imagine yourself sitting here across the table and being asked a question that difficult. Um, it, what is the experiential equivalent? Because everybody talks about furniture store experience, creating that experience in a furniture store. Is it having a big accessories bay? Is it having um, an outpost of accessories or um, tabletop or decor? Um, obviously, furniture and food are kind of dicey to have in a similar space since um, you don't want people turning your furniture and getting their right. fingers on it. I'm going to start my answer with, it's important to know who your consumer is. Central Market knows who their consumer is. They're going for the people who like Whole Foods or like to shop Whole Foods, but don't necessarily want all Whole Food products because Central Market looks like a ginormous Whole Foods, only a little bigger and flashier, but they sell cookies like you can get Nella wafers there. So it's not, so they understand their consumer. They understand that 
I don't want to go to Whole Foods if I have to go to two stores, but I want the same kind of produce. So as a furniture store, it's important to understand who your consumer is. Is it everyone? How do you, that's a pretty broad base. How do you get that person in? Are you going to be fast cash? You know, it's where they can pick it up real quick and get out the door and have it in their home fast and have a decent product. Or are you going to be super high end and only carry um, product with special order and takes a while to come in? And so each person purchases differently. So that's the number one thing to understand when you're setting up a store. And that's something I consider when I'm merchandising. The other thing is, so to translate the grocery store into a furniture store, you have to understand the, the traffic pattern. So you could easily translate a traffic pattern into it. Um, colors, blocking, and product blocking is important, and that's exactly what they do in a grocery store. It's actually quite similar in certain ways, um, and guiding them through the store to your fancier product, to your better products. Also, when you walk into a grocery store, and I know we all know this, and we've all seen the shows on TV about it, how they merchandise, they put their most expensive items at eye level, and your less expensive items at the bottom or the top, or on end caps for clearance to draw attention, because they want to move it quick, but they don't want to give up valuable real estate on a shelf for a discontinued product. So if we keep those things in mind when we're looking at a furniture store, you begin to see that the similarities are possible. In high-end furniture, you're going to accessorize less, use larger pieces most of the time, and they're gonna cost more. Uh, in a uh, good setting, let's call it good, better, best, in uh, your good products, those consumers typically shop, they like to have their accessories on hand. So you could merchandise your accessories in a shelving, like additional accessories in a shelving unit near the product or dispersed throughout an area with the product. So I think, or with your, with your goods. So if your sofas are there, you can have a bookcase with your additional product in it uh, to sell. So each, it just it really depends on your consumer. <laughs> okay, speaking of who your consumer is, the, the consumer that everybody wants today is millennials, right? Because there's a boatload of them. <laughs> Um, they're starting to set up their first households in a lot of cases. Um, I don't want to get into all the stereotypes about, you know, they live in their parents' basement. They don't. Um, they have a lot of debt. Some of them do. But it's a big consumer group. So if, if I were going to give you any size store you want to create from scratch, a blank canvas and an unlimited budget, because we all have that, right, guys? Um, but in, in all seriousness, if you were going to do a, a store that specifically appealed to millennials, what are some of the elements that you think would be important to include in it? Okay, first I'd like to say I've done a lot of study on millennials because everybody does want that market. So about five years ago, I became an expert. And I have two millennials as children. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna break down a myth real quick. Um, I don't wanna spend a lot of time on it, but on average, millennials, let me rephrase this. 25 years ago, I was working in as an assistant manager in a, a store. Uh, it was a Pier 1. I'll say it, I was making 
$12 an hour 25 years ago. I have a 25-year-old son now. He's working as assistant manager at a Jiffy Loop. He is making $12 an hour in the same job I was doing with the same responsibilities. So what we need to consider with millennials is that while housing and everything else has increased, their wages have not. So it's not that they're lazy and they're not making money and they're not going to school, they are. It's just that the jobs that they are getting or can get with the experience they have, have not in, their wages haven't increased with the times. I discount marketing to that type of market and I'm gonna tell you why. Starter furniture is starter furniture, right? Everybody needs smaller items. Now, I just moved from Houston. I had a big house there before I moved. I moved into a smaller apartment. I'm not a millennial, I'm a Generation Xer. <laughs> so I needed small furniture. I think it's more important instead of focusing on the name of the group you're targeting, is focusing on the needs of that person. They need moderately priced furniture, good scale for smaller spaces. The average apartment right now where I live in Winston-Salem is 700 square feet for a one bedroom. You can't put much in that. It's gotta be smaller scale. They're not gonna wanna spend a lot of money on it because they're probably gonna be moving it a lot or they're just gonna wanna buy new. That's what I did when I moved here. I just bought new stuff. So keeping in mind that yes, we all want that consumer, your showroom isn't where you're gonna get them. Your showroom, you just need to show them what you have and have stuff that, that fits their needs. Where you're gonna get the millennial is by their purchasing, I mean, the way they shop before they come in. Millennials, when, when I was a kid and you were a kid and anybody my age, any generation X or above or older than me knows, when you were a kid, you only had three types of media. You had TV, you had radio, and you had newspaper. Now the millennials are being hit with, I can't even tell you how many forms of advertising they get. So it's difficult to know even know where you're going to hit them with. So it's important to have a big web presence, a big social media presence, because that's where you're going to get them in the door. It's not necessarily, once you have them in the door, that's the hardest part, is getting them in the store. You, we have the goods to show them, you just have to have people who ask the right questions when they get there. Do you display, would you think to display, I mean, does it matter, their age matter, when you, if you were laying out the store, if you were presenting merchandise, mm -hmm. would you present it differently, or do you think that they'll shop pretty much the way anyone else would shop? Do you have to tell them a different merchandising story? Um, once you get them in the store. Once you get them in the store, they basically break down into like four or five different subsets. There's gonna be people that are more traditional and follow in their parents' footsteps. There's gonna be some that uh, enjoy the social disruption, which would have been me as a Generation Xer. You know, I was punk rock. So, so they're gonna be more artsy and things like that. They, it's the same categories anybody else falls into. Um, you're gonna have people that are more, you know, socially inclined. Now, that is something millennials are really um, really does appeal to them from what I understand and and myself as well though we used to call it slacktivism you go somewhere that supports 
what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a spice company, which is a fabulous store, and they're a little controversial. Um, Penzi Spices, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. If you ever get a chance, go in one of their stores, they're fabulous. Um, but they do a newsletter and they are very liberal and they are proud of it, <laughs> you know, and, and their whole campaign is on that. Um, I like to shop there because their spices are the best. I mean, like their garlic tastes like, they're like powdered garlic, tastes like garlic. Like it doesn't taste powdered, it tastes like you're eating a garlic clove. So they have excellent product. But, but they, that's their customer base. They know their customers, they cater to them. They do that, but I mean, I think any of us, sustainable, is it gonna be good for the environment? I think we have, there's a large group of millennials that really actually care about that. And... That's not a story that you see people tell a lot. I mean, I've heard that before, that millennials like a cause, that they like to hear the stories behind Mm -hmm. product. Um, I have yet to be in a store a mainstream retail format. So, I mean, whether that's a Walmart, Kmart, Target, a department store, a Macy's, a Elk, or whether it's a furniture store where people seem to try to tell those kinds of stories. Is that an untapped opportunity? I absolutely think it is. And I'll tell you, one of the things I do, and I know we're getting close to our end of time, but one of the things I do is I look at inspiration from everywhere. And we've spoken about this. When you know at the beginning of market or at the beginning of the year everybody's forecasting colors and Sherwin-Williams will forecast paint colors, Bear will forecast paint colors, these people will do you know furniture color forecasts, what's the trend for the year, what's the color trend, you know what's the Pantone color of the year, well in media they do the same thing, I'm sure you know this, I actually use that for my merchandising. It's an important tool. At the beginning of every year, I go online and I look for media images my customers are being fed. And you can break it down. And I do that because if my customer is being fed images from A, B, and C, I want to capitalize on that. That's free stuff right there. That's stuff people don't think about half the time in my business. Um, Because I want to reinforce that imagery some way. So right now, social disruption is one of the things where people are really being themselves. Last year it was their authentic self or fluid self where, you know, they're fluid with sexuality and looks and all of this. And then, you know, there's the people that are ecologically sound. Um, There's also, you know, just social discord where they want to be in in a stand for something. Because you know what they say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. (laughs) So I think that it's important to consider that when you're talking about visual merchandising, because your visuals can be impacted from many different places. So do you think people's, what they're seeing in the media and these, this, this kind of imagery and these colors, do you think that affects what they look for when they come into the store? Absolutely, it affects what they buy in clothing stores. Why wouldn't it affect what they buy in furniture? I mean, it affects us. It's emotional. On a primal level, you're seeing something. If it's lush and green, you ha- when you see an image of something lush and green, even if it's a sofa, you immediately think of, well, I think of verdant forest, but somebody's gonna think of something green, something else that they associate it with. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it's important that we reinforce what other people are doing. Now, my impression of a lot of furniture <laughs> stores is if you look at most furniture stores, and I'm not, I don't want to um, lump people who don't do this in, but it, it tends, to, and I've heard people use the term a sea of brown. Yes. Right? We merchandise brown because that seems to be what people purchase most. So you may use something really bright to be eye-catching, but ultimately it seems to be what people expect to sell is brown. Do you, but, and we kind of alluded before that people tend to buy what they see. Mm -hmm. Do you think if more color was merchandised, people would buy more color? Do you think there's, um, should it be a sea of brown? Well, we have a joke, and I'm sure you've heard it, that gray is the new brown. I have heard <laughs> But yes, I, people, it's a big purchase. They have to look at it every day. They have to sit on it every day. They have to, you know, it's something they have to live with. So it's important for it to be safe. You're not going to run out and spend the most, well, you might, but the most money on your most crazy pair of shoes, probably the shoes you wear every day are going to be the ones, that's going to be the, what I spend the most money on. And my fun shoes, I may or may not, depending on my wallet. So it's important as a retailer to remember that and accessorize with color. Uh, I do think it's fun to throw in pops of color, but I, I own a white sofa. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> That's very brave. I've never been a, a neat enough person to, to dare a white sofa. I'm shocked I have one. I have a dog. I live on that sofa too. I've had it for four years. You'd be amazed at how clean they stay. Um, I would. Yeah, well, I clean it occasionally, but it's, ama I, it's, it's white. You don't really notice the dirt. I don't know how to describe it. Okay, so just kind of quickly, one or two word answer. Um, styles that we're likely to see go away in the next couple of years? I think we're gonna see fussy things go away. Um, I know right now we're kind of on, I think we're on the tail end of the glitz and glam. Um, the real shiny, sparkly uh, things. I think people are gonna move towards a more natural and holistic kind of approach to their homes. Um, things that are just on the leading edge that we're gonna see really take off in the next year or two? Natural products, uh, sustainable products, USA products, <laughs> I'm hoping. Certainly, certainly seems to be the direction. Right? Um, I think as, and, and more in the home, pro more enter home entertainment things, uh, things that people can do as a family in their homes. That's a, that would be an interesting trend, more of people interacting. I mean, mm -hmm. It seems that cell phones, we, right, we read all of these studies about the isolationist nature of cell phone usage. So that's an interesting sociological reversal you're suggesting there. Well, that's what I want. I'm seeing what I want. It's fantasy, right? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Great. Well, you know what? We'll have to have you back. We'll, we'll wait a year or so, and we'll come back, and we'll circle back, and we'll see if that actually <laughs> Okay. Thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.